There's no denying transgenderism has become the new social contagion as more and more teens are identifying as trans at earlier and earlier ages. Meanwhile, schools and corporations are promoting this dangerous trend through everything from clothes to curriculum. But in the midst of that chaos, there's a bright spot of courage, a brave 18-year-old young woman named Chloe Cole, who at age 12 told her family she was a boy, and by age 15 had already had a double mastectomy. And she's here today to share her personal story of walking out of transgenderism and embracing her biological identity as a woman. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our special guest, Chloe Cole. Well, I am super excited today to introduce our very special guest, Chloe Cole. Chloe, welcome. Thank you for having me. I am just so honored to have Chloe on the show today because she is going to just open up her heart with us and share her story, her journey of as a kid being pushed into the so-called gender affirming care industry. And then by the time she was 16, coming to grips with the fact that this was not working for her, it wasn't the healthiest path for her, and so she detransitioned. And she's going to walk us through what that was like for her. But before we get into all that, Chloe, I did want to give you a chance to talk about this crazy travel experience that you've had coming to Richmond. Tell us a little bit about that. So I was actually supposed to be home like two or three days ago, but because all the hubs right now are stormy. Yeah. Every single flight was canceled. That's even crazy. the one, even the one before I head to Virginia, the I was supposed to be here like a day earlier, and that one was also. I don't think it was canceled, but it was delayed by like twelve or so hours. So obviously we wouldn't be able to make it on that plane, and they took our luggage. We weren't able to get it back, and you still don't have luggage. No, I had to buy new clothes <laughs> and a whole new suitcase, and they look and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I love the new clothes. Uh, yeah, that's you. They canceled all the flights because we were trying to get Chloe here and everything was canceled. No rental cars. It, it was really crazy. Yeah, I'm a little quite a bit younger than 25. So it's a little bit difficult yeah, to get a rental. Real, yeah, not really an option. <laughs> um, well, then after that, so we're going to talk about the event that Chloe came for to help parents and students. But after that, you tried to leave Richmond, and it was kind of like a Hotel California experience because you couldn't leave. You have been stuck here for three days, or right? Tell us what that's been like. You know what's funny is that I've, <laughs> I've heard the, I've heard Hotel California being used to describe medical transition. Yeah. <laughs> Once you're there, you can't leave. <laughs> you are familiar with the difficulty of finding yes. the exit. Well, I, I hope Richmond was, you know, um, didn't feel like a dark tunnel being stuck here. No, it's nice here. I like it. Really? Are you just saying that to be nice, make us feel good? You no, really I like, like it. it. I like okay. it. It's cute over here. I like the East Coast. <laughs> so, I like the architecture. So uh, that means Chloe likes Richmond. Have you done the canal walk by chance? <laughs> I have not done the canal okay. walk, but I did a tour of the Capitol, which is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, what? Okay. So when you say it's cute, I haven't heard that word for Richmond, Virginia. What? what makes it's just like the East Coast in general, though, like the the historical architecture and all the buildings and yeah, such. Yeah. Like in California, the oldest buildings that I've been in, yeah. maybe like a hundred or so years old. Yeah. But some some of the ones over here, like 400 or so years old. Well, the one you're sitting in right now is 200, right? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. 
I mean, I did a little a little tour of the place. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Yeah, Civil War era. We so. found that creepy little uh, little basement. <laughs> and I wanted to explore it, but then I saw this, this, the cobwebs and stuff, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a skirt and a sleeveless blouse. If a spider, like, drops onto me or something, I'm... I'm gonna right. die. I'm so not gonna survive. and I went to the uh, spooky basement under the carriage house, <laughs> which uh, I guess they found while they were doing some of the renovations. You really had the tour. That's a yeah. fun tour. I hear you've been living this crazy travel life though for a month. I guess you're kind of used to the craziness. You've you've actually been traveling for about a month now. Is that right? Um, this trip has been like well over thirty days. That's crazy. I I have some months where I'm only home for like four days, so I'm kind of used to it. But I still miss home, you know. Yeah. My mom and dad miss me. Oh yeah. Well, in the midst of all that pressure, just going from place to place, let's learn a little bit about you as a person. What do you just do to unplug, unwind? Um, you know, I like art. I like illustrating. Um, I mostly do like people. Sometimes I do pets. Um. Oh. Very, I don't really go for like photorealistic. I like uh, doing stylized stuff. Um, but I also like fashion. I like okay. buying and coordinating clothes and making outfits. Okay. And wow. I actually want to get into like clothing design and okay. run my own brand one day. Wow. So you are a very artistic, creatively gifted yeah. person. Yeah. I've always, All right. It's always been that way. I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. Like I have drawings from when I was like a toddler up until my senior year of high school just mm. stashed in every corner of the house so. so your parents probably knew when you were drawing something that good at two or something that you have a gifting there well <laughs> i mean they saw that i would draw a lot yeah and that i would always draw my assignments but they didn't see that i was actually like developing a style and such until i was in about fourth grade or so mm -hmm. and they were kind of surprised and yeah. i i kind of hid it away from them for some time just because like i was kind of embarrassed and like i knew like, I didn't want the attention praise, you know? Like, I just yeah. kind of wanted to do it on my own. That, that's really cool. All right, well, I got to mention one thing that you're sharing with us. You have this adorable dog that I'm sure is a huge stress reliever. <laughs> um, tell my us, sister's taking care of her right now. Yeah, tell us about the dog and her name. And Her name's Yoshi. Um, we think she's like a terrier, uh, Pomeranian chihuahua mix because she has like all those all those features like she, ha she kind of has like a long body yeah kind of kind of stubby legs a little bit and like a she's got huge ears like little yeah, little radars <laughs> we're gonna stick a picture up um hopefully it's one where you can see her, her ears for our youtube viewers so she's a dork that's yoshi she looks adorable <laughs> all right well as i mentioned you're going to hear about Chloe's story of walking out of transgenderism today. But before we get into that, I did want to talk about what brought her to Virginia Beach in the first place. And that is that you came out specifically to really stand alongside parents, students, families in Virginia Beach. Tell us why you felt like it was worth coming all this way, working this into your travel plans to help local families. I mean, it's important to get to the legislation and to stop this from happening legally. But it's equally as important to get to the people, to the communities. That's something that not really, that isn't really focused on a whole lot. And I mean, this has like silently made its way into schools. I, I graduated high school last year and I went to a public school in California. So you think I'd be learning all about this in school, right? 
even yeah. like especially like while I'm going through it but it was never ever brought up in class things like uh, sexuality or identity or gender and such I I never heard about those things in in class ever so I was kind of shocked to learn that this has made its way into classrooms all across the states yeah even at even preschool kindergarten level you know through storybooks and things like that so yeah um yeah I like what you said about that you know a lot we're kind of focused on legislation but people in communities are feeling pretty beleaguered with what they're trying to come up you know what they're trying to battle with schools pushing this and we heard from people in Virginia Beach that they were just feeling so weary like the media is ignoring them the school board members weren't listening to them um, what would your encouragement be now that you've met some of these people in Virginia Beach and you kind of experienced that? Um, what would your encouragement be to these people on the ground trying to stand up to local school boards that aren't listening to them? Just keep trying because somebody's listening. Mm-hmm. And it's worth and the it more for people, people, people like you. The more right. people who will be fighting. Yeah. Because most people agree that this should never be done on children, that this is wrong. And... I mean, all it really takes to see why that is is just having a brain and just hearing experiences of people like me of these kids who are being taught about this in class. And yeah. these kids, these girls who are trying to, who are having to deal with the opposite sex, entering their bathrooms and such. Yeah, and I like what you said about the more people that will hear about it, um, the more they hear about it, the more they will do something about it, but they might have to hear about it a few times, right? To, right. And I mean, I'm just some random teenager from California. Like, if I can do this, anybody can do it. And everybody should be involved in this fight. Mm. Yeah, like that. Um, Well, let me just quickly bring people up to speed with what's going on in Virginia Beach and what uh, Chloe was speaking into exactly. Uh, Because for the the past several months, LGBTQ activists, including a student group, have been really high-pressuring the school board there with demands to basically keep parents in the dark, to have policies or keep policies that put parents out of the picture, um, just cut them out of the process if their children are experimenting with their gender identity while they're at school or if the school is allowing, for example, biological boys to use female spaces like bathrooms and locker rooms. Um, You know, the policies were not including parents in that whole process. They were getting shut out. And as I said, they were feeling discouraged because it's just weeks and weeks of this high pressure. And really, the school board, the school board members in Virginia Beach were hearing predominantly one side of the story. And so we were honored to be able to bring Chloe out to help give the other side of that story and bring some balance to this issue. And and she stood alongside a crowd of about 100 parents at this press conference rally. We did a Protect Every Kid rally where where she shared her comments and then went straight into the school board and spoke directly to the school board and you gave them a pretty strong message you did not mince words tell us um tell us a little bit about what you were trying to save the school board um well i just wanted to give an account of my experience as somebody who's actually been through the process of both socially and medically transitioning as a kid and just telling them why this isn't appropriate to teach to high school kids and younger. Yeah. And what was the most important thing that you said to them? Because you look them straight in the face and you challenge them, right? What was your most important message you wanted to get across to them? 
Um. Well, at the end, I told them, like, it's irresponsibility as a school district to make sure that your kids are, to look after their well-being. Because if a kid is in severe distress or if they're separated from their family, they can't focus on their studies. They can't learn. Mm. It's not a proper learning environment if they're having to deal with the stress of either the op- their, their, um, these sex segregated spaces being invaded. These spaces that they're supposed to be feel comfortable in, like the bathroom or the locker room and the showers and such. Or if they're being transitioned behind their parents' backs and they're dealing with that sort of stress on their own without any real guidance or support. They can't learn. They can't learn like that. Yeah. And I wrote down one thing you said, and that was, you said, my life has been destroyed by people like you who lied to them. What did you mean by that? I mean, pretty much all of the adults around me were giving in, not necessarily my teachers or my parents, but my doctors were the ones who were telling me like, oh yeah, you are a boy. And they weren't really pushing back on my belief that I was actually a boy, despite being biologically female. They just went along with my feelings and it was all about my feelings rather than my needs. And it doesn't matter whether you're doing that as a doctor or a teacher. No adult has any right to lie to a child like that. It's dangerous. Why did you need them? You know, you were 12. Why did you need them to actually push back a little bit and look more into the actual needs behind that? Because it wasn't what I needed. It was just how I felt. I mean, what did you, you don't have to, You don't have to just give in to the, the whims yeah. and the wishes of a child all the time, you know? Because, I mean, what good is a parent if that's all you have to do, right? Yeah. Or an adult, really. I had a lot of psychiatric issues that weren't being addressed. It was all just kind of pushed aside in favor of, well, the issue is uh, it's her gender. That's where all the distress is coming from. And once her dysphoria is resolved, then she'll be okay and she'll be her real self. Mm. But that's not true. That's very obviously not Mm -hmm. true. I would never actually be a boy. And yet I was being treated and referred to as, as such. One of the biggest calls to action that came out of that whole evening, parents were urging the school board to align the school board's policies, because they currently have bad policies in place regarding these things, um, to align them with policies that put parents back in the driver's seat that are expected to be released any day now by Governor Yunkin's education department. And this was the thing that that parents were asking for that would be an important step toward restoring balance in this issue. What are your thoughts? Well, let me just explain one thing. Um, The old policies that were put forth under Governor Northam's administration and are currently still on the books, they, you know, one of the biggest concerns is, is that they have wording right now that basically instructs schools how to hide things from parents or even deceive. So what it kind of says is, um, if your kid is experimenting with gender identity, then at school, refer to them by the name they've chosen and the pronouns they've chosen. But in front of the parents, you know, go back to the legal name and, and what the pronouns that the parents are used to. Um, what are your thoughts on that kind of a policy? Why does it 
need to be changed, what's the real harm there? It's, it's so perverted. I can't even believe that that's a thing. Because as a parent, you have the right to know everything about your child, what they're going through, what they're doing. I mean, how else are you supposed to take care of them if you don't know what's going on? It's really not any adult's right to get between a child and their parents and family. And you've experienced personally in your family people getting in between you and your parents. Tell us about that. It wasn't school staff, but it was doctors. And they they told my mom and dad that there wasn't any other choice but to allow me to transition because they said that I would be at risk of suicide if if not. But the end outcome of me wasn't going to be suicide. I think, if anything, I would have just naturally desisted over time. I mean, we saw that this treatment didn't work out for me. It's hard to know what would have happened if I didn't go through it because what happened happened. But, I mean, children who are gender dysphoric, um, they trend towards growing it, outgrowing it naturally by the time they're, they've hit adulthood and mm-hmm. they've gone through puberty. But I wasn't suicidal until after I started transitioning. I wasn't suicidal over the idea that I might not be able to, but I was just, I was afraid of what might happen if I wasn't allowed to, you know? It, it was a fear of the unknown more than anything. And because I also thought that it was my only choice. I didn't know that I had a choice not to transition. There was a lot about transitioning that I wasn't informed of actually. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you didn't know you had a choice. You just felt like, well, this, this is the path I gotta take. Yeah, I mean, from pretty much every resource I read up on, that seemed to be the case. Just talking about like uh, transitioning and gender dysphoria, it was the only uh, it was the only treatment really presented for it. Mm-hmm. And there was tremendous pressure on your parents as well as you, just with this false choice. I just think that's so incredible what you described to me. Um, Tell us about that choice they basically presented to your parents. I mean, it absolutely is a false dichotomy because those are not the only two options. They should Mm -hmm. not be the only two options. I mean, and what were those options they gave? Either having a dead daughter or a live son, a live Mm -hmm. transgender son, they said. Mm -hmm. And the way they they go about it, they didn't say it outright. They just kind of like hint at it. It's very much a form of emotional manipulation on the part of the doctors. Mm. And are you present for some of these conversations? I don't believe I was. I had no memory of this. Mm -hmm. I have no recollection. Um, There are a few appointments that my doctors had between my parents without me, I think. And I believe that was one of them. Mm. Um, This was after my parents started getting concerned because like I was pushing more and more every day to to go on the medical path. Mm. And they just weren't sure why. Like they didn't know why I just couldn't wait until I was legally an adult when I would be maybe more capable of making a decision around this, more mm-hmm. mature, having experienced um, more of my life and just more knowledgeable about the world. Um, and they were concerned that it was something that I might regret because it's a huge decision. And it was a lot to expect out of a 12, 13 year old kid. And they knew that very well. And they're pretty sensible. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why it's worth it to you to go to these local communities and stand beside parents that are getting this, this kind of pressure. 
But let's back up a little bit and just talk about how this journey all started for you. So what? how did it begin for you at age 12 where you started experiencing this struggle over your gender? It wasn't really an actual thing, I don't think. I mean, I'd always been kind of a tomboy, and once puberty started, which I had a fairly early uh, start to puberty. I was about nine years old when I was starting to develop visible breasts. And I had issues with my body image, of course, because I started so young and Mm -hmm. was kind of being thrust towards adulthood earlier than I expected. And it was really difficult to deal with. Um, But I didn't, there there were times when I thought like, I'll never be pretty. Like I'll never be feminine enough. Um, like why, why, why am I a girl? I think I'd just be better off if if I were a boy, you know. But I didn't actually think that I was a boy until I was introduced to the trans ideology, which was through social media, mm-hmm. um, namely on Instagram, through uh, communities that were kind of centered around like video games and. Uh, content that I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So when you look at the biggest factors kind of pushing you down this path, so social media is big. Video games too? Um, not video games themselves, but the communities around them. Okay. For some reason, there's like a, a large portion of uh, a lot of the users in communities around a lot of video games and uh, like shows and cartoons and stuff are people who identify as LGBT and like overwhelmingly like uh, trans or non-binary and such. And, and so was it mainly this online world? What about school? You Were there messages in school? No, not no. at that time. No, not at okay, all. That's um, interesting. So some parents need to be aware of this, what is out there in the online world. And did this happen because you're, you know, online asking questions or? No. I mean, I wasn't really direct, directly interacting with anybody at mm-hmm. the start of my transition. Um, I was just kind of browsing these communities and just just watching them, just mm-hmm. listening to these people talking about their, their life experiences mm-hmm. and about their transitions. And it was very, I was very intrigued. I was very mm-hmm. interested because it was very novel and very seemingly cheery and bright and colorful mm-hmm. with all these flags yeah. and new ways of describing yourself and this focus on like introspection and self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And becoming, yeah, look, yeah. becoming happier and whole and building a community around yourself. So it, it looks like a place to channel some of this inner anxiety, a place where you can be empowered with that. And Yeah, yeah. Um, I think okay. part of the reason why a lot of these communities that's, that are seemingly unrelated with transitioning, um, I think part of the appeal is that, like, a lot of these kids are socially awkward don't really they're not very close with their families or their peers and they don't really have they don't really have much of a sense of community around them and so they kind of seek something online and it makes it easier to get sucked into this kind of thing Mm -hmm. i mean that's certainly how it was for me and i've kind of seen this pattern with different people as well now how did you get to the next step where you're actually you know in these counseling or medical situations so how did it jump from online to actually going down this path yeah i mean after some time of course i was starting to question my own identity 
and eventually I just, well, I thought, I don't really know what it means to be a girl. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be one. I don't, I don't really fit in with them at all. And I think I'm, it just makes sense that I was destined to be a boy and I'm going to pursue that. And so I kind of quietly just started transitioning over time, um, telling some very close friends from school about it. Um, got backlash from most of them, actually. Um, started getting shorter haircuts and changing the way that I dressed. And then eventually I came out to um, one of my older sisters, some of my other family members, and then eventually my mom and dad threw a letter. They were naturally pretty concerned, as supportive as they wanted to be. And they... They saw right away that this was related to my, my mental health struggles. They knew that it was a psychiatric problem. And so they decided to start sending me to the therapist because they thought that would help. They thought that uh, the therapist would help me to introspect and kind of discover where these feelings were coming from and help me with learning to, to cope with them until I was an adult and would be better at making a decision around this. But that didn't happen. It didn't work out that way. Mm. And then I guess by the time you're kind of down this path and, and asking to pursue these things, then your parents are getting pressured and just kind of afraid to counter that because of what they're hearing about the risk. So, yeah, right. okay, and, and then it's just goes on from there, I guess. They'd been concerned about me for years because, you know, I was already having struggles with school and making friends and getting along with my peers and such from a very, very young age. And I had a previous diagnosis of ADHD, which I think was erroneous. And a lot of my ADHD-like traits were could be attributable to me just using the technology very young and also from actually being on the spectrum, which I still haven't gotten like an actual diagnosis for. I've had two or more screenings in my life, um, several screenings actually. And each time the response that me and my parents got was just like, oh, well, you're so, you're so smart. Like you're well, you're so well-spoken. Basically just telling me like, you're not autistic. You're not stupid enough to be. <laughs> wow. And it, it is obvious that you are highly intelligent, but what would your advice be to uh, parents or just people encountering kids that are in the middle of this struggle and um, what would your advice be to them on how they can then help the kids pursue a healthy path um well it's important to first tackle where the influence is coming from like who or what is making them want to be the opposite sex or believe that they can actually become the opposite sex, where that desire, where that belief is coming from. And then dealing with that by either, if it's coming from school, moving schools, or maybe homeschooling, which I know is not the easiest for, it's not really the easiest option for a lot of parents and families, especially if you're, you're busy, but I think it's very much worth it if you, if you can, uh, if you're able to do so. Um, and if it's coming from their peer group or from social media, then you should 
revoke their their phone privileges and, and social media mm-hmm. and once you feel like they're they're old enough or ready to to use it again then you should be very very involved monitoring whatever they're they're using um and interacting with them on social media just being a parent being involved in their lives and this is coming from an 18 year old that you may need to revoke social media <laughs> privileges so take your yeah. parents <laughs> i mean i this is coming from somebody who started using social media and really the internet far too young yeah i've kind of seen like all of the the horrors that it has mm-hmm. to offer and i'm still kind of struggling with like a like an internet social media addiction so mm-hmm. i appreciate that's, your honesty. that's not something that you want to start young yeah that's really appropriate warning well i think we'll wrap up today's show with just if you could give people a call to action um both for parents or just people that want to do something about this and also what you would say to school board members be on the lookout for what's going on in your community like ask your kids when you when you pick them up from school what they learned what they talked about with their with their friends who they're hanging out with and be involved in their schooling. Maybe like participate in classrooms and events and such and attend these school board meetings to see what's on the agenda. And it's it's not easy to speak out on the subject. I'm lucky to have started speaking out at the age that I have because I haven't like started, well, I've, I've had like a few online classes in college but like I haven't really had I wasn't employed at the time that I started doing this mm-hmm. and I was already I was high, out of high school so I didn't really have much to lose but when you start speaking out on this as say like a high school student who has to deal with the pressure of like keeping up your grades and trying to make friends and trying to maintain a social life or if you're a parent or an adult who is working a job working nine to five is employed and dealing with a family there is a lot at risk but i think that the livelihoods and the well-being of these kids and their education has to be the priority they they don't have a voice Mm -hmm. They can't, they can't always speak up for themselves. So it's important that the adults and those who are able to take action do so. And like you said, if you can do it, which, which is hard, it's not right. easy for you. It's not easy. And you don't, have to, you don't have to be traveling like 15, 30 days a month to do something about this. What do you it want starts people, in the community. What do you want people to do in their communities? Um just to spread awareness around this issue, around mm. what's being taught in schools, what's going on in the locker rooms and bathrooms, and the fact that children are being allowed to make adult decisions, often being coerced into it by adults. And of course, because they're children, they don't really have much of a voice. They don't have mm often like the the skills to communicate or aren't really in a position where they feel like they can 
Mm-hmm. So they need that voice. They need that outside power. They need somebody to advocate for them. That's good, Chloe. Thank you for that. Well, next week, we're going to pick this up again. We're going to talk more about the medical part of this journey and just just the traumatic damage that was done to you being pushed down this medical transitioning path and the fact that you are now legally challenging one of the largest healthcare providers in the nation. So we're going to talk more about that next week. But thanks for joining us, everyone. Please take to heart what Chloe said about speaking up in your local communities on these issues. The lives of kids everywhere like Chloe are at stake. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together. 